Welcome to Represented, a podcast brought to you by the Stanford University School of Medicine's Anesthesia, Informatics, and Media Lab. This podcast aims to spotlight phenomenal individuals who are driving change in healthcare and advocating for underrepresented communities. Today, we will be doing something a little different. We, Angel Ndebisi, a pre-medical student, and Tomoka Wilson, a medical student, will be interviewing our usual host, Dr. Dominique Arce. Tomoko? Thank you, Angel. We're excited to learn more about Dr. Arce, who is the Associate Vice Chair for Faculty Development, the Faculty Development Liaison to the Office of Diversity, Inclusion, and Health Equity, and the Associate Program Director for the Obstetric Anesthesiology Fellowship within the Stanford School of Medicine Department of Anesthesiology. Please join us today for an engaging conversation with Dr. Dominic Arce on paving the way for diversity, equity, inclusion, and anesthesiology, connecting with patients, and much more. Welcome again, Dr. Arce, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me today. I appreciate you guys coming out and joining the podcast. Thank you. So to start off, we're interested in hearing more about what initially sparked your interest in entering the medical field. Well, I can't remember a time when I wasn't interested in joining the medical field. My mom is a nurse, registered nurse, and she worked on labor and delivery when I was young. And ever since spending time on labor and delivery with her, I was very interested in becoming a physician and also just joining the medical field in women's health. It was my mom's dream from when she was really young to become a doctor, and that wasn't something that she was able to accomplish given her life and circumstances. And so I think knowing that that was a dream of hers that she didn't realize, I sort of took it on as my dream. It wasn't necessarily a conscious thing, but it was, thinking back on it now, I do think that that's definitely where it came from. Mm -hmm. And I was always very focused, never thought about doing anything else. And I thought about many different specialties, but never wavered in becoming a physician. Yeah, that's very inspiring. And I know you're an obstetric anesthesiologist, and I feel like you're leaving a little bit off on that story as to <laughs> how you ended up as an OB anesthesiologist. Yes. Do you mind telling us more <laughs> about that? Like I mentioned, my mom was a labor and delivery nurse and a single mom. And so I routinely, she would work 12-hour shifts, so 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., and as many of you probably know, daycare and childcare facilities close around six. And so usually one of the nurses that she was friends with would come pick me up from daycare and bring me to labor and delivery so they could have their sign out. And during that time, I was kind of let loose on the labor and delivery floor, often playing hide and seek with, you know, unit coordinators and other nurses. I uh, actually was often babysat by some uh, residents, <laughs> OBGYN residents, when my mom was at work on the weekends. So I, I had a lot of interaction with uh, healthcare providers that were taking care of patients during that setting. And so that was kind of always in the back of my mind. Like I said, I, I thought a lot about many different specialties, but I always kept coming back to labor and delivery and women's health. And even when I got very far down the road of thinking I was going to do pediatric anesthesia, I just I flipped at the last minute. And I was like, no, I think I think obstetrics is the place for me. And I definitely feel very comfortable there. Mm -hmm. I enjoy that environment. It can be a little bit crazy. Yeah. Lots of action. You never know what your day is going to look like. And but ultimately, you're you're helping someone in one of the most 
stressful and happy and sometimes sad part of their lives, and you get to be a part of that and help them through it. So I, I find it to be a very rewarding specialty. Really race and like medicine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. That was such a beautiful story. And it is evident how much you care about what you do. We'd like to hear more about how your background has influenced your perspective in, and approach in the medical field. Again, my mom was my caretaker, my provider, my cheerleader, my everything growing up. And she showed me the compassion mm -hmm. that she had for her patients and underserved communities. And even when we were a part of that underserved community and when we were relying on healthcare resources, she was still always giving of herself. My mom was born in Haiti and I did spend some time there as a child. And, you know, witnessing the depravity in that country and then witnessing the disparities here and watching, like I said, watching my mom give of herself even when we didn't have a lot, it really made an impact. And I would say another big part of my desire to work not only in women's health, but on disparities work was my medical training at Meharry, Meharry Medical College is historically black college and a lot of what we do and a lot of the focus is on healthcare for underserved populations. And, you know, that is in the blood and in the bones of the university. And you can't leave that place without having a little bit of that inside of you. And anesthesia is such, you know, a white dominated field. Like there are BIPOC people and even women in that field, they're in the field at low rates. Uh, how is it being a Black woman in anesthesiology when you're connecting with these patients? You know, there's anesthesiology is, it's a very interesting field. We connect with patients for very short periods of time, and we have a very intense connection and relationship before taking them back to the OR. A lot of the times we haven't met the patient before. It's rare that you take care of a patient more than once and you have limited amount of time in the morning or in between or before their case to talk to them, get to know them, learn their history, honestly get them to trust you mm -hmm. to take care of them. Because our jobs as anesthesiologists are to not only keep patients safe, but also keep them comfortable and they have to trust that we're going to do that. There's a lot of mistrust in the medical community within minoritized populations. And I see that when I, when I meet a Black patient in the operating room or in the, the preoperative area, their demeanor changes when I walk in the room or when I walk in next to their bed. They're, in some cases, I've had patients who start crying and sort of tears of joy and they'll say things like, I'm so happy that you are here. And they talk to me in a different way. We connect on a different level. That period of meeting them to trust is, is shortened. And it makes me feel fulfilled. And no matter how I felt about going to work that morning, 
that has totally changed. And I am so happy that I am there for them. There are times when patients tell me things and then they immediately say, I didn't, I didn't tell the nurse <laughs> that. I didn't tell, I didn't tell the surgeon that they wouldn't have understood. Yeah. And, but just watching that, that stress release and that comfort come over them, it makes what I do a thousand percent worth it. And it's just a different interaction when you have that concordance, whether it be in race, ethnicity, gender, you, you just a little bit easier for you and the patient to connect and to have that, that trusting relationship. Yeah. Having that representation in medicine is very meaningful for patients. Uh, but I also know that you've done some work with the Doctors Back to School TM program, where you are, where it engages minorities and minority, where it engages minority youth and physicians, essentially increasing their um, self-concept and showing them that they're capable of taking on roles in the medical field. Do you have any success stories of how these initiatives have influenced the these youth, their their career trajectory in um, pursuing the medical field? Well, I think, you know, more than individual success stories, I think the experience that the physicians and the students have during those brief interactions, you can, again, just like with the patients, you see that change. Mm -hmm. You see there, there are students that come up to you during that day that say they've never seen a black doctor before. They've never seen a Hispanic doctor before. They didn't. And it's not that I think they don't know that they exist, but seeing it and being able to hear the stories of these physicians that how they got to the point where they are and hear some inspiring words really changes the narrative for them. They can now see themselves in that role. And it's not even all about medicine. They can see themselves in a professional role. Mm -hmm. They can see that they, they have the ability to succeed and be something other than maybe what they're used to seeing in their local environment. And so, you know, wrote an article, Moving Beyond Statistics, One Student at a Time. And that was so, talked a lot about that program, but it was more to say, we need to be focusing on talking to children, talking to showing them what is possible. And every student that makes that shift and goes into medicine, whether it be nursing, you know, physician assistant, or goes on to be a physician, that is, they become a role model for so many other people. They're one more person that so their patients can see, the children can see, they can go and then share that message. When I realized that this was an issue, in between college and med school, I took a gap year and I taught seventh grade science in an underserved middle school. And that experience taught me a lot. One, being a teacher is probably one of the hardest jobs that I have can even imagine. Medical school is way easier than being a middle school teacher. <laughs> but it also showed me that these children, again, hadn't seen there is something else that they could be. They never thought about medical school or even college, some of them. 
And so we really need to focus there. We talk a lot about increasing minorities in medicine and in medical school and residency. How do you get to medical school? You have to go to college first. Absolutely. And how do you get to college? You have to do well in high school. And some of my students actually were in GED programs because they couldn't get out of middle school. They weren't passing their courses. So if you can't get them out of middle school, if you can't get them out of middle school to go to high school, to succeed in high school, like we can't, you can't just say we need to pull from the, the pool of undergraduate students if we can't get those people there. So we have to start really early. We have to start with pipeline programs. We have to start bringing physicians into these um, younger grades to show them that it's possible and know that we all had struggles. It wasn't easy. We all came from communities just like the ones where they live. And that just sparks the idea of possibility. Yeah. And that, I think, is the, the, the first step. It's so interesting that you say that because, like, personally, my younger brother had dislocated his knee and had to see a orthopedic surgeon. Mm -hmm. And when he walked into the office, the surgeon was black. And it was a very, like, it was a very important moment for him because as a high school student, he'd never been or met a black doctor before. And so for him, it showed him that, like, he is able to take on roles like that. He's not interested in medicine, but like you said, people or students in other interested in other fields can equally greatly benefit from programs like these. Absolutely. It, to it just, you don't realize how important it is. And we all need allies and we need, you know, mentors and people to go into the community that are not minorities also. Like that's also very important because, you know, they can also be encouraging, but it is something special about seeing yourself in that person and, and hearing their stories and that motivates you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And that really resonates with me because, you know, I was always interested in science, did very well in biology, but uh, I had never met a native doctor until I was in my, like, mid-20s, I want to say. And I didn't even know that was an option. I was pursuing nursing, and I knew, like, there were academic careers out there if I wanted to do, like, math, but, you know, I wanted to do healthcare, so I decided to do nursing. And then I'd met, like, one of my professors at a community college was he was in medical school but then he quit because he fell in love with uh with teaching and I was like oh like you went to medical school I could probably do it too so like he wasn't a person of color but it just made it more tangible so I can imagine like going in like meeting these kids at such a young age you, you let them know like it's a possibility right and it's not that you can't conceptualize it it's yeah. not like you didn't intellectually know that there were native physicians but when you saw one it's it changes your life it's real it's tangible and you realize that they are like you and you and it inspires you and i think that's really important yeah especially when sorry just to go off on another no, tangent okay i was also in a pipeline program with one of your previous guests the white east program yes. that dr Brote had created and man let me tell you it was so different being surrounded by other Native students who could relate to, you know, like the different struggles and who were in the same mindset. And it was amazing. So definitely great programs. Which is why I'm very HBCU proud. 
was where Meharry is where I really found my voice and felt very comfortable and felt like I belonged and had I was surrounded by physicians who looked like me and had similar stories and you know it was very very motivating yeah and I feel like they also knew how to mentor me and knew how to encourage me and that means a lot as well and when they tell you you can do this and then they release you out into the world you have a much different feeling and I think it was only because I got that mentorship and that confidence that I was able to go to a program like Brigham and Women's and feel like I was good enough to be there. So Tomoko, you mentioned, you know, I was talking about my experience at Meharry and and how I felt very uh, well mentored and having those similar experiences with my mentors really helped. And you mentioned the YEAST program, which is run by Dr. Broat. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, the YEAST program is a post-baccalaureate program for Native American students um, and those who have like Native American background or sorry, ancestry. And what they do is they have like four different realms. There's like to help you transition into medical school because if you successfully complete the program, you get conditional admins to, when I started, it was one, one medical school. It was Oregon Health and Science University, which is you. But now it includes two other universities, if I'm correct, in Washington and in California. But yeah, they teach you the first block of medical school in OHSU, at least. And it's the fundamentals of medicine. Um, and in addition to the academic portion, they have research portions so which get you involved in research. They hook you up with a mentor. If you need to retake your MCAT, they'll give you MCAT tutoring. They will pay for your test. And then they also have uh, kind of, I don't, I forget the, like how they describe it, but it's basically like a wellness kind of thing because, you know, like being in medicine, it's so important to learn how to, to know how to take care of yourself so you can persevere and be your best and not, you know, be so overwhelmed. You want to be at your best. They teach you that and all the while giving you mentorship, peer mentors, uh, academic mentors, like you're just surrounded with mentors. It's such a supportive environment. But yeah, I can't praise pipeline programs enough, especially like the YEAST program, because, you know, you're saying that you had mentors who knew how to mentor you mm-hmm. and they're able to like meet you where you're at. And we talk so much about like meeting patients where they're at and they were these programs meet the students like where they're at and give them this, the tools that they need to be successful. And it's such an amazing thing. And I feel like you're also, you feel more comfortable being very honest about where you're at yeah. and what you need and accepting help. When sometimes when you're in a majority institution, asking for that extra help makes you a little bit more self-conscious. It, it lets that imposter syndrome <laughs> creep in that much more. And being able to be open and honest, just like our patients, we want them to be open and honest with us. You have to find a way to connect with your students and you have to have mentors that are able to connect with you as well. So I think that's incredibly important. Thank you. 
Thank you for tuning in to Represented, where we spotlight healthcare leaders driving change for underrepresented communities, amplifying stories of transformation and shaping a more inclusive future. Goodbye for now. Keep advocating and making a difference. Hey, this is Dr. Larry Chu, producer at Represented and director of the Stanford AIM Lab. If you're enjoying our conversations, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on Spotify, Apple Music, or Google Play to never miss an episode. But that's not all. Make sure to visit our website at represented.health for episode-specific tips on creating impactful change in your community. Sourced directly from our program's esteemed guests. Let's stay engaged, stay informed, and continue to make a meaningful difference together. Thanks for listening.